Very early in my work as therapist, I discovered that simply listening to my client very attentively was an important way of being helpful. And it seemed surprising to me that such a passive kind of interaction could be so useful. That's Carl Rogers. He was a key figure in clinical psychology and research in psychotherapy. He's probably best known for what's called the person-centered approach to therapy, which he started developing back in the 1940s. He had this notion that everyone can change and improve, and that the therapist's job isn't to tell a client what to do, but they should instead be more like an empathetic partner to the client, helping them see for themselves how to realize their potential. And one of the ways to do this is to listen. When your friend or partner or colleague is talking to you, you may think you're listening. (laughs) But Rogers was like, yeah, there's listening. And then there's listening. Sometimes it's called active listening or empathic listening or listening with understanding. To really listen is to shake away your preconceptions, shake away any judgment, shake away your own thoughts, and try to just fully immerse yourself in the other person's perspective. So when it comes to therapy, the idea is that when a therapist really earnestly listens to the client, that creates an environment for insight and change. In 1952, Rogers wrote in a popular magazine that good communication within or between people is always therapeutic. But it goes beyond therapy. Rogers once wrote, quote, Whatever I have learned is applicable to all of my human relationships, not just working with clients with problems. Sure enough, those who knew him remembered him as an exceptional listener. He brought this stuff into his everyday life. So in our everyday relationships, I guess maybe we have our own inner psychotherapist yearning to change the basic personality of everyone around us. But but more often, I think, our hopes for other people are more humble. When someone believes something dangerous— holds opinions we find distasteful, supports a politician we don't care for. We may wish they would change their minds. And what if the answer is to just listen to them? Like, listen really, really well. You are listening to Opinion Science, the show about our opinions, where they come from, and how they change. I'm Andy Luttrell, and this week I talk to Guy Ichikoff. He's an associate professor in the Department of Human Services at the University of Haifa in Israel. I met Guy a few years ago. He, he had struck up some collaborations with mutual friends doing this cool work on how listening to people could affect their opinions. And I was like, who is this guy who just burst onto the scene doing this interesting work with my friends? A little while later, and I became one of those collaborators, too. But the work he and I are doing together isn't actually about listening. So it was actually a pleasant chance for me to fire up another video call to Guy, but not one about our project. Instead, I wanted to talk to him about the grand scope of his work on listening as a way to shape opinions. So, here it is. Um, So, what's listening? What what is that? (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) What's the difference between, here's how I'll put it, what's the difference between high and low quality listening? Okay. I will, I will start by saying that listening is, is complex um, to understand. We, we all think we know how to define listening because it's a pretty it's an everyday behavior, but the definition is quite complex. For example, there is a paper from 1989 that tried to organize the literature around listening definitions only i'm talking only about interpersonal listening and and this paper identify more than 50 different definitions so in in order to answer what's the difference between high and low equality listening i need to speak a bit about what is listening and how we define it so the first the first dimension we identified um is uh, attention attention is usually conveyed by Nonverbal cues, such as uh, maintaining eye contact with the speaker, 
um, body posture that conveys um, interest and facial expressions that reflect the attention they mentioned, which is a non-verbal but highly important one that we identified. Um, so the, the second dimension is called comprehension um, or understanding. Um, and this, uh, this is the dimension which I think, I don't have any data to speak for it um, because all dimensions are pretty integrated within one another or intertwined. But this is the more, if, if I had to, 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 to make a, an hypothesis, this would be the mo most important one because it conveys the speaker that you get them, that you really get them. And we all, we, we all, we all have an innate need to feel understood. You know, even one of the predictors of interpersonal chemistry is that you feel that this person gets me. And um, so how do we show comprehension or understanding to our speakers? For two examples of behaviors of the listeners. Um, which is, by the way, here, and I'm going to talk about now the verbal component of listening. So attention was nonverbal behaviors, but there are also verbal behaviors of listening, and this is why listening is not the same as being silent, um, or this is why listening is not the same as hearing. There are also a verbal aspect. So, for 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 example, one of them is question asking. I, I'm from Israel, and we have a um, we have a tendency to ask closed-ended question or, or question where the answer is intertwined within the answer. So she shouldn't have done it, right? This type of question. <laughs> which, well, uh, and so uh, there, there is, by the way, an entire literature about question asking. So a good question um, needs to be open and not give the what you as a listener think is the correct answer. And, and it's, it's the tone of the question, but it all, it's also the words that you use. For example, there is a great book about parenting called How to Speak So Kids Will Listen and How to Listen So Kids Will Talk. And, and, and they build a lot on, on Gestalt psychology and, and give an example of, for example, a how versus a why question. So I can ask uh, one of my daughters, why did it happen versus how did it happen? Of course, it depends how I say it, but a why question usually elicits more defensiveness because I need to explain myself. Why? Because this and that. And how is usually more open. And there are other nuances to, to how, how we ask the questions. But when, when speakers are asked good questions, especially when they're done talking, uh, so like what, something I've consistently found in my listening experiments is that regardless of the topic, people can talk for like two, three minutes, almost about anything. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and in this, I call it the automatic pilot. So during the automatic pilot, the listener is important, but not as important as when the speaker is out of words. And there, I remember the first time I became aware of it in, when I was a graduate student and I brought up trained listener, she was one of the best listeners I saw, how she helped the, the speaker with her questions to, to introspect deeply. So this is where the, the list really comes in, whether we're going to have some awkward silence or whether I'm going to ask you a good question that will help you think deeply about your attitude. So, so question asking is very important. And, and, and another thing that is behavior of and comprehension is paraphrasing or reflection. So repeating what you heard and asking afterwards, um, did they understand correctly? And do you have anything else to add? And this is quite important because when studies show that even um, when we listen well, we remember up to 50% of what the other person said. Um, and so the reflection when I ask, did I miss anything? So you would complete the parts that I've missed with parts that were important to you. So you would help you would help me to be a better listener uh, as we continue our conversation because I would be like, okay, I missed it and it was important for Andy to know that, that, that so it's probably important for him. So I'm going to pay attention now that he's going to talk about it. So you, you help me as a listener to complete my gaps. And I also help you because when you will hear 
what you said from like a third party perspective thing, it, what I found that it really helps people to look at things in a different way. And even if I missed a lot or I didn't understand you as you wanted to, I signal that I really want to understand you, which is, which is very important. And also something that I usually start my lectures with, what is not listening. So one of the things we do, and Carl Rogers, uh, which a lot of my work is based on, on, on his observation, said that we have a tendency to evaluate what we hear. And often we think we understand in the beginning because we interpret it based on our own inner world. And then usually we stop listening or we shut ourselves down internally and wait for our turn to speak or we reply. But if we really listen further, we will often realize that what we initially thought uh, the speaker said was not really what they meant. Um, so this is actually, a, this is the comprehension dimension. And the last dimension well, well, is- Well, let me, let, me, let me take a, a, a page out of this book and clarify that I'm understanding. Uh, so, and also as a summary point for, for folks who are listening. So what I'm hearing is that listening involves, well, well, one way to put it is, I can communicate to you that I am listening through my body language, actions, nonverbal expressions that communicate my attentiveness to the points you're making. I can also communicate to you that I'm listening by verbally asking questions, clarifying, pausing to help get a sense that I'm actually understanding you and not just passively hearing the sounds that your mouth is making. So... So far, listening is two pronged: attention and understanding. What? What other? Well, well one. Did I get that right? Yeah. yeah <laughs> and what's, you, and what's you, next? You're you're a good listener. Uh, I think. <laughs> I, I have think to say, this is making me very self conscious to have <laughs> someone talk to me about listening as I'm interviewing them uh, and having to be a listener. And like the things that you're saying do come up in the interviewer space because a lot of these are dilemmas. Like a bad interview, like a for a product like this, like a media interview goes poorly when it's clear the interviewer is not listening, doesn't care, asks questions that clearly are out of sync with what the person is actually interested in, and and a listener can tell, a listener to the podcast can tell. Um, and so these are all these are all helpful notes for me as I we're on episode what seventy five or so of this show. <laughs> so things things that I ought to know by now. Yes, and and I had a um, I a few years ago I had a great conversation with uh, um freelance writer. She writes for The Atlantic and The Washington Post. And she became really interested in listening um, after um, she realized that she and her colleagues are not good listeners at all uh, because they have their own prior agenda when they interview someone they disagree with or agree with. And and and, and she really did a transformation. She was one of the, the best listeners I, I've conversed with. And so I know that in this profession, and I know this is not your profession, you do it for, as a hobby, but um, like with interviews and, 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 and for uh, reporters, this is often like what we see nowadays is actually a lot of the opposite of listening because you, you, at least where I, I come from, the interviewer will speak more than the interviewee. <laughs> um, and... By the way, speaking of understanding, one thing that is is um, a sign of not listening is to tell your speaker, "I know what you mean," and it's a, usually a sign of of not listening because if you wanna show that you know what your speaker means, it's like telling people someone, "Trust me." It won't help them to trust you. You need to show them that you can trust you. So through these behaviors, you can show that you understand. But usually. When after we say, I know what you mean, we start talking and giving examples from ourselves. So we become the speakers. So this is often a, a, a catch for, um, uh, for listeners. So then and the third dimension is we call it uh, intention or positive intention, uh, which is um, refers to the mindset of the listener to, to help the speaker, to be helpful or to be benevolent towards the speaker. Because you can say, well, the two dimensions, the first two dimensions you just spoke about, um, attention and comprehension, you can see it in, in an interrogation of a suspect in the police station or, 
or um, at, um, at the courtroom where a lawyer interrogates a witness from the opposite side. And usually I, I found that listening is a very positive, powerful uh, process, but taking these two examples into account, these are very aversive um, experiences, but the dimensions are there. Many of the behaviors are there. So what's the difference? Um, and the difference is that there is no positive intention. So the speaker does not feel a positive intention from uh, the speaker. So, And this is, I think, the most complex dimension to to exemplify by behaviors because it's, it's usually the, the perception. One way, by the way, is, is called to do it is called hedging, where you instead of instead of saying what you think, which is like very Israel-like, so I think you should do this and that. Is like, would it be helpful, or perhaps using using actually words that convey some uncertainty, perhaps maybe. And another very important aspect is to be non-judgmental towards uh, your speaker, which is difficult. And being non-judgmental is not the same as agreeing with the other person. Non-judgmental means that I accept your freedom to express what you think. So this is not, so agreeing is not the same as non-judgmental. Even we use words like validation. Validation is not validating your editor. So like, yeah, Andy, you're correct. I agree with you. Validation is, is validating the person. For example, to so say, um, thank you, Andy, for sharing it with me. I'm sure it wasn't easy for you. Uh, this type of stuff that are uh, independent of the content that you shared, but do show appreciation of the fact that you shared it with me. Um, so this is like in a gist. I don't know if I can call it a gist, but relatively the umbrella of the dimension. The interesting thing, though, that speakers' perception, which is what I focus on in my research, speakers' perception of their of the listening they receive is usually holistic. For example, when someone listens to you, you don't go after well. His attention was three out of five, and <laughs> the comprehension was right. You have this holistic perception of how well you were listened to. I, I wondered that as you were talking, I was thinking like how because I know that you measure like perceptions of am I being listened to, and is it that one of these matters more or that people separate these out? And, and for sure, there can be cases like you say of someone who's completely silent actually is taking everything in. So I I, I hear I see that you're attending to my speech, but you're not showing me that you understand. I have to sort of assume, hopefully, that you are. So like that's sort of like halfway to good listening. It sort of seems like you're saying if you only have one out of these three, the experience is probably not going to be, oh, I feel quite listened to. There's sort of like all three of these I need to feel like are interlocking in this conversation. Exactly. And and I often do an exercise in my class called time sharing. And usually in time sharing, um, we have uh, we we have turns, and each one of us will speak for three minutes, while the other person just listens without verbally responding. And usually, when I ask for reflection afterwards, half of the speakers find it really challenging because they they need the feedback from the listener, and 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 half like oh, it was so great to speak without anyone interrupting. And now there was an interesting research just recently pu published that found that um, th this time-sharing exercise benefits more people who are high on narc narcissism. So it reduces their social anxiety, but uh, it increases social anxiety for people high on depression. And I, I, I saw this diversity when, whenever I give this exercise. Some people really like it. But I think even more than 50% really find it awkward. Um, the silence is really weird for people, and this is something we train our RAs, to not be afraid of silence. Silence can be constructive. And when we really want to think, we need our quiet time, and we need to introspect, and we need to we need this quietness. But usually in during a conversation especially with a stranger people are really uncomfortable with silence because they think that oh no i can't allow the silence to be and then they're just try to complete the silence but if this uh, and if you you learn to accept the silence then um more meaningful contact can come afterwards it's like you have to dig deeper in your mind in order to get to the more profound information and this is something i found through 
observations and through my experiment that it requires training to learn to teach people like it's okay to be it's okay to have a silent it's okay when when after someone's this your speaker says something and now there there is a few seconds of silence don't be afraid to jump in with something it's okay let the silent be um so you asked for a definition i answered yes. <laughs> i went around so now, <laughs> now we know well so so one one question i still have is uh, as i understood it as you were setting it up this is what listening is which is different from high quality listening or or like I, I'm getting lost a little bit in that distinction, right? Because when I was reading some of the stuff that you've written about, like what listening is, I couldn't tell. Like, well, this sounds like good listening, but is good listening all these things and more, or or the combination of these three is high quality listening? So it's it's a good question. Um, I think it's the combination. Um, when when I create listening conditions in my lab, what we do is we play with the behaviors. So, for example, um, in the high-quality listening condition, um, I'll have my uh, research assistants. We have a protocol that we build. They will uh, provide reflection, ask questions, eye contact. And in, in a, um, I haven't done a poor listening condition in a while because I'm interested in the high quality, the, the, the benefits of high-quality listening. So I usually compare them to a moderate listening condition. But when I I, I construct the lower quality listening, so there are less questions. The eye contact is there, but it's not always there. Uh, they're not they're, they're not ignoring the other person, which I've also done in the past when I wanted to have a poor quality listening condition. But basically, um, I play with the quality of the behavior. So if, if we'll take facial expressions, for example, you can have facial expressions of high quality listening are um, to show um, interest, to, to show that you're with the other person, body posture, you lean towards the person. So now if you want to uh, reduce its quality, let's take it to the extreme so, so it will be more clear. Let's take it to the negative, ex- uh, to the negative end. Um, I will, uh, for example, during the conversation, I will raise my eyebrow a few times or... I might nod my head in disagreement, even like moder- modestly like this. This stuff makes a difference. And, 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 and uh, it's called, by the way, it's called back channel behavior. This is the, the, the channel through which the listener impacts the conversation. Um, I've often noticed um, a misperception that listening is passive and it is the speaker who determines the role. And, and this this cannot be further away from the truth. The, the, the listener determines at least fifty percent of where the conversation will go, um, using all this back channel behavior. So this is how I create the. For example, in a poor quality listening condition, we will not have a paraphrasing. They will not paraphrase, or I've never tried it, but we, they they can paraphrase in a completely wrong way, or ask an irrelevant question, um, or. Um, this is also annoying. Uh, we found uh, when when you try when someone speaks and you try to get into their sentence, like yeah, eh, um, and you know stuff like this. This really annoys people because it's like you don't really want to listen to me. You're just waiting, like to cut into the lane. So we'll do this kind of stuff. You want to do poor quality listening. So basically, we take the dimensions and we play with their quality in order to create. A different um, valence, the conditions of more positive or more negative. Hmm. Would you say it kind of almost sounds like it's that listening is an either or sort of a thing? You're either listening or you're not. And if you are listening, you can do it really well or just the bare minimum, right? Because it just sort of seems like there's this threshold at which you go moderately good listening is, yeah, you're doing all the things, you're listening. But like you can communicate better that you are listening. Um, I, I, I'm assuming you're not actually going to take a strong stance that it's dichotomous, <laughs> but I just want to <laughs> push it in that direction to see like how wrong is that, or is listening really continuous on a continuum? Yeah, so so we are finding that listening is on a is on a continuum because um, what you describe is like to do the the just enough uh, to to become. Uh, to come across as an okay listener, this would what we call like a moderate listening. And when we talk, when we and we when we want to study changes that occur within speakers, 
being just okay or coming off as um, um, an average listener would not impact the construct that I'm interested uh, to, to focus on. For example, if we're talking about um, attitude change. So um, I found in my studies um, that when, when speakers speak to a, to a good list, to, to, to a listener exhibiting good quality, high quality listening, their attitude become more clear to them. Now, if you're just okay listener, um, the, uh, it will not be strong enough in order to produce uh, this type of change uh, or become aware of, and this is what I took from Rogers. Um, Rogers talked about uh, multiplicity within ourselves, that we are more, um, we're we, we able to recognize and, and, and become aware of, so, and, and, and be non judgmental towards ourselves about holding maybe other points of view that might uh, be in opposite to our initial attitude, like ambivalence, for example, when we, ha- when we feel that our listener is not judging us. Uh, but this takes, this is a process that has to be, like the dose has to be strong enough in order to see some effects. Um, so um, I, I, this is why I, th- I, I, um, I, I measure it on a continuum. I do create the conditions, but when we have uh, what we call the manipulation check, we have there are validated scales of listening, and, and you can really see where people stand on the different condition, and, 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 and it varies. Hmm. Okay, okay. Great. <laughs> now, now we have it. Uh, you, you sort of teed us up, so this seems like a good chance to transition to the more up, uh, the applications of listening that you've you've looked at. And one of the things that it wasn't super clear to me until after reading a little bit was the powerful conclusion I think you can draw from your work, which is, if I want to be a persuasive person, if I want to encourage people to rethink their opinions and beliefs— one of the things I can do is not find the best arguments for my position, is not to generate a bunch of talking points, but just to become a better listener, right? I could become a more influential person, not by saying anything differently, really, but by becoming a better listener. So with that framing, <laughs> would you agree with that framing or, or how Completely. would you want to I, 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 I couldn't have, have, have framed it in a better way. Um, and one of the reasons I started this line of research about listening, connecting listening to attitudes, uh, I remember when I first presented my work in the attitude pre-conference, like I was, I was rejected from a poster presentation, uh, like because because people thought were like I, I came from like where are you coming from? This is listening and this is attitudes, and but I've been intrigued by a process I often see in my culture where people argue with each other. Um, and we know now as society is becoming more and more polarized, we see it in our daily lives. And what I've noticed is that not only um, you don't change the other person's attitude, you actually make it more entrenched or more extreme. Um, and then I learned it's called the boomerang effect. And we know that when people resist persuasion, they are more certain in their attitudes. Um, but the common and, and then I asked, and, and, and I relied a lot of on, on Rogers's work. Um, and, and what I was looking for the common denominator, like what is, like, why are these processes of arguments? Um, I, I, I also come from the, um, I, I did my, my PhD in an organizational behavior program. So we see the same thing, by the way, when uh, employees get, receive feedback. Because people do not like being told stuff about themselves. And, 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 and then they become very, in, not every time, but a lot of times they become very narrow-minded. Um, and I was looking for, okay, so why? Why does it happen? And the thing that I, reading the, the literature about it, which really came from different places, this is what I like, try to integrate it, was that it's a process of defensiveness. Of when, when, so for example, when we argue, in, uh, when, when it's your turn to talk, instead of really listening to you, I will think how I'm going to react, right? How I'm going to counter argue. So basically, we did not listen to one another. We just had a, conducted an exercise on how to bolster our own attitudes. And then when I read the work of Rogers and there are other, uh, for example, uh, for motivational interviewing stuff that like, 
eliciting ambivalent through asking questions, this type of stuff, I noticed that it's all about creating open-mindedness within the speaker. Um, so I thought, okay, so if um, by being a good listener, when someone speaks um, and being better than like an okay listener, but like in, in, in a good listening situation, um, when people talk about their attitude, they might, like the structure of the attitudes might change because they'll be able to recognize maybe other points uh, in their attitudes. We had other evidence from uh, um, role clarity in the workplace. So I thought, okay, maybe it can be also applied to attitude clarity. Like the attitude will be clear. They will maybe want to share their attitude more, but not necessarily to persuade um, other people. And so um, what I found in, in my first set of studies that indeed listening, it didn't, interestingly, it didn't change the valence of the speaker's attitude. So for example, one of, uh, in one of the studies we've asked about organ donation. So if you're uh, in favor of organ donation, if someone listened well to you, you, you wouldn't become against order donation or vice versa. But your view will become more complex. Like you, on average, you will feel that, uh, you will recognize that there are other aspects that are not in line with your original thinking that make sense. Recently, not so recently, you know, 2020, building on this research, it was a, a, a study I conducted with my colleague Netta Weinstein from the UK. Um, we found that when speakers are listened to well, when they talk about their prejudiced attitudes, um, they become less prejudiced. Um, now, there is a caveat for all of this. Um, it depends or requires that you have some initial ambivalence to begin with. So if you are completely one-sided, this is what I found, if you are completely one-sided, um, it won't change your attitude, at least like the 10 to 15 minutes conversation that I've been doing in my lab. If you're only one-sided, we don't see a change. In We don't see it become more complex. But if there is some, so it was like the question, does listening creates complexity or ambivalence or does listening increase uh, ambivalence or complexity? And we found it's more likely to be the second. So you do have to have some minimum level of, of um, readiness but, but but on average, uh, this is what the same with prejudice. For example, speakers who are completely prejudiced about a specific social group, even they rated the listening as very good. They felt a sense of relatedness. But when you see the attitudes, like pre-post, nothing. There are lots in between. Okay, yeah, that that does help as I sort of parse the, the difference between some of the, the different findings. So just to, to recap and put myself in the mind of someone who's being listened to in these kinds of studies, if I enter into this conversation with at least some nagging sense that there might be some complication, like I, I have my own view on this issue, but I understand like it's generally like it's not a, it's not a sealed and shut case. I am encouraged to explain my opinion to you. Let's call it organ donation, like you said, right? I have a certain stance on this, and I'm now in a position to explain like where I'm coming from to someone, and they seem to be really attentive, and they're really locking eyes on me, and they're asking questions that show that they've been actively listening, and it seems like they truly want the best from this conversation. I find myself in this conversation exploring the complexities of organ donation and thinking, oh, you know, maybe this is something that's not a obviously good or only bad sort of a thing. Maybe there's some nuance here that that now I realize and I'm willing to acknowledge is the case. I feel quite clear about where I stand on all these things, but I also kind of openly acknowledge the complexity just by virtue of the fact that you gave me the platform in this open sort of way. Does that, does that capture the kind of phenomenon that, that you're seeing? Exactly. And, and it's interesting because we know from the attitude literature that usually when we feel ambivalent about something, we feel less clear mm -hmm. about it. I was going to ask um, you about that. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is actually taps to the other um, dimension or the, the antecedent of uh, certainty that is we, you, you will become more clear, but you don't necessarily feel you're more correct. Um, and I think what, what's... Um, 
I just want to say a bit more about the process because I think it's like the interpersonal becomes intrapersonal because when there is good listening, and uh, we call it in, a, in our review paper a sense of togetherness, um, and there are a lot of work anyway um, from even the emotion literature that show that when people are um, they're feeling more calm, they're, they're, they're more able to be creative and open-minded. So if there is good listening between us, you will feel more psychologically safe. Um, and then you and, and this will allow, uh, we call it reflective self-awareness or non-defensive introspection, um, that you will be also more authentic with yourself and, and, and there is a better chance that because that you will acknowledge the complexity because the, the world is complex. There are sides to everything, but usually we, we need to be ready to uh, to acknowledge uh, this openness in in this way. So so yeah, there are. Um, I've we've only tried it with a relatively weak attitude, so we've never done. Um, and uh, now I have a, a project about listening during disagreements. The results are really interesting, um, but, but so far, like what we've published are all relatively weak attitudes. I'm sure that if we do take the same settings, the same procedures to, let's say, political attitudes, I don't think we'll find differences there because these are attitudes that are diff difficult to change. I, I do think, by the way, it's not that I don't think the process works. I do think it works, but it needs more time. So, for example, if you have an hour conversation with a great listener, and there are actually some, I read a few, uh, um, it was um, stories about it that, uh, for example, um, um, stories of people with, uh, who were uh, anti-Semitic. Anti -Semitic, uh, so when, when they um, really talked in a long, but a long time, then they suddenly started seeing things differently. So I think, and again, I've never tested it, but I think the stronger the attitude, the higher dose of high quality listening you need. So my intent, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So part of me also thinks that it's also just harder to engage in high quality listening, like for people to do that. Because one of the things that, that I was thinking about is like, this is why the nature of political chat shows and interviews are never going to go anywhere. Because the whole point is to say, you're wrong. We're right. My questions are only to try to show how stupid you are. <laughs> and everyone tuning in to listen is just waiting for you to fail. So like, it's just, there's no point at which you go. Cause it, cause it seems like that safety question just isn't present in these sort of popular media type interviews. Whereas if I go, Hey, I, if I realize, Oh, you know what? I might've been wrong. I, it, it would be nice <laughs> if I could acknowledge that. And the listener goes, Oh yeah, that's fine. Like, I don't, you're neither good or bad for whatever you said before, but like this is a comfortable space to explore that. I just think it's we we load politics up with our moral convictions so much that it's hard for us to actually legitimately engage in that process or you know maybe it's even difficult to believe that someone is genuinely listening, right? We have in the back of our mind like I get it. It looks like they're listening but they're just waiting to pounce on me. I can tell like <laughs> what, what person is not going to try and catch me out for being inconsistent. And, and this is, and I, I completely agree. I, I just saw today, I saw an interview of a uh, um, political a person in, in the Israeli government and she interviewed with, um, nowadays we know which channel supports which, which side. So a reporter who's very recognizable with the other side and so she was like, I should get rewarded to come for, for being, doing an interview with you. And for the entire conversation, he was like raising his eyebrows and nothing. You, you, you saw the dynamics in the conversation that, um, and, and, and the questions were questions that are, are not really questions are like, you were wrong before, et cetera, et cetera. Is it right that you were wrong? Like to, to put someone on the... So there wasn't really a conversation, and and we talked about defensiveness. This is what we see in 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 in, in, the, te in the television, and on, so um, we see uh, the the defensive nature because of the argumentative uh, nature of the discussions. And when we have such an atmosphere of lack of psychological safety, there is no chance we can bridge divides. Um, this is why I 
I I I um, I pitch listening a lot. Um, we don't have. I don't want to. You know, we, we researchers, so we need to be uh, cautious about what we say based on our findings. But I, I I do think there is suggestive evidence or some hope that um, some preliminary evidence that if we really listen well to one another. We can bridge divides between many, many in many, across many topics. Now the question is, as you mentioned, how can you listen to someone you really disagree with? But often this is the first thing. So if I, I I'm not ready to listen to you and we're holding different different views, we're gonna be arguing in a very short time after the conversation started. So how how do you listen to someone you have stereotypes towards? And this like focus on the listener because. The speaker is one side, but the conversation is a two-way street. So what about the listeners? How can we listen better to people which we know all the opposite attitude or belong to a social group that we um, have uh, negative attitudes towards? This is also, I feel, a challenge that as a listening researcher, I I need to address uh, because I don't have the solution at this point. Uh, I'm intrigued by the question, but don't have the answers yet. So one other thing that that I wanted to hit in terms of the stuff that you had just been talking about was, so it's clear, I think, that listening provides an opportunity for speakers to explore in an open way where they stand on something, um, which seems a little out of sync to me with the findings you get in the prejudice uh, effect, right? Where you say when it's about attitudes, it's not making people reliably more positive or more negative, but it seems like with prejudice it's all moving in one direction, right? And so why wouldn't listening just create change in any direction as people just explore openly? Instead, you're finding that people are reliably moving in the direction of less prejudice when they feel they're listened to. It's it's a good question. I think we can think about it in terms of attitude extremity. So um, because ambivalence and and extremity are, are, are... associated so the more you're ambivalent the, the, the less extreme less one-sided you are um, the way we measured it so um, when um, in our prejudice paper um, we um, we measured uh, the attitude favorability towards um, the social group they discuss on uh, the thermometer scale from one to 100, and if you think of it in an attitude extremity framework, so you do, you do see that the extremity reduces, so they get less deviated from the, the midpoint of the scale. Um, usually in the, in the so if I was negative, I'm now less negative. Now it's not that, let's take the midpoint of the scale, let's say I was, and f- let's take 50, which is the midpoint, so let's say I was 10 towards this group. It's not now that I'm, I'm turning into a 60, I'm now, positively warm about this group, but I will I will be, let's say, like a 25, 20 even. So I do move towards the the, 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 uh, the midpoint of the scale, which is consistent with, with what we found about reduced extremity mm-hmm. in this sense. I'm, I'm less intensely negative toward them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's not like now that you love them and now after this conversation that... Uh, um, you change the valence of your attitude from being negative about them to being positive about them, but you did become more moderate in your views about them. I think this explained the, the less prejudice uh, towards uh, t- t- towards the group. I hope it answers the <laughs> yeah yeah the question. Yeah, and, and again, just to to put it in perspective, it's like I think a lot of people would talk about the importance of listening and persuasion as. Like, oh, you want to actually understand where this other person is coming from so you can tailor your messaging to them. Whereas you're saying like, no, 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 <laughs> you just listen. Like just listening provides this space for people to actually reason themselves into more nuance than they had before, right? And so you can be a powerful agent of influence <laughs> just by giving people that chance to talk. Um, the, the the cultural uh, thing that you were talking about too reminds me just as a trivia point. Um, There was an episode of this podcast a while ago on this program that IBM made that debates people. So an artificial intelligence machine that debates people. And it's IBM Haifa that was really uh, at the center of doing this. And the the guy, all the like 
key figures in hatching the idea uh, were Israeli. And part of all of my interviews with people for that episode that didn't end up making the show, but I thought was interesting was how important was being Israeli to you as like, like giving you a background to think about debate. And everyone said, oh, there's this culture of everyone argues with each other. <laughs> and like, where else in the world would someone have the idea? Like, let's let Let's teach computers to do this. <laughs> so as, 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 as an Israeli, I should tell you, I disagree with what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, 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 there is a sentence called two Israelis, four opinions. I think nowadays it's six opinions. And I, I just wanted per your, uh, when you said, so in the attitude literature, when you talk about like the message, uh, uh, when we, how to frame my arguments, I wouldn't say by just listening to them. I would say, but he, by genuinely listening to them because it just sounds like I'm doing and, and another important thing is we, it's called a listening attitude and and it is the extent to which and it's also re relevant to the workplace or, or if you want to elicit change in another person the question is where do you stand on what is the source of this change so what do, what do I mean if you have what we call the strong listening attitude um you would, you will probably, um, um, your mindset will be that the solution to this person's problem lies within them, within the speaker. And your job as the listener is not to to argue or to 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 give to provide arguments on either side. Doesn't matter, but to help them um, prov produce the solution that is already already lies within them. Now, a weak listening attitude will be that I think the solution sh should come from outside. And for example, this will be people who are quicker to give advice or unsolicited advice, uh, which can be very frustrating for people sometimes when they just want to share. Um, so um, it, 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 it depends. Um, but, but I do think good listening is um, an, uh, an important antecedent um, when we talk about our, our attitudes, we often talk about as the message provider and the message recipient. Um, but what happens to the quality of the conversation? Like, how does the quality of the conversation impact? By the way, both sides. I'm as the now I'm becoming more and more interesting in also uh, in the listeners, as I mentioned. Like, what happens when in the conversation about attitudes? Does my attitude as a listener change? also maybe becomes also more ambivalent when I heard an opposite attitude. Maybe it, it might even become more extreme if I couldn't share it with you. So there are a lot of open questions that we don't know, um, but it's all relating to you know, sharing our perspectives with each other. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, as a way of wrapping up, I just need to ask, how did I do listening to you today? <laughs> I'll send you a report afterwards. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> give me, a, give me you, my grade. You, 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 you listen really well. Um, I, and, and, and the fact that, for example, I know that the audience will not be able to see the, the video, but uh, I noticed that um, your facial, your, your nodding was really, uh, it, was, it was timed. It was, um, and the questions were very relevant and your reflections were very accurate. And um, now, uh, it reminds me now I can say that all the like advices I gave for good listening, basically you can take them and you can throw them to the garbage. You know why? Because if, um, if you have an interest in the other person, in the speaker, you don't need to, and I know often when I talk to, to people, they say, okay, well, how do I need uh, and you also mentioned it's how do i come across as a good listener how do i make myself be perceived as a good listener if you listen well you will be perceived as a good listener in most of the in the majority of the time you can basically i'm of course i'm 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 exaggerating but you can take all the stuff i said about nodding and facial expression throw them out the window try to learn new things about the person you're talking to. And I think this is what you're doing in this podcast. So you, you, you read the papers and you, you, you have like a learning goal orientation. Um, but if you really have an interest in the other person, you don't have to think about the verbal and nonverbal behaviors, right? When, when, you, when you listen to, to your daughter, 
right? You, you, you don't need to, to, to think about now, am I nodding in the right time? Am I smiling? You, you listen to her because you love her. And, and so we can't love everyone, the best strangers and stuff, but a task I give my students, for example, that uh, I tell them during the following week, um, I, teach, I teach in a department of human services, it's organizational behavior. Each day, learn something new about a colleague. And, and they often come to me with reflection that well, I, I, I suddenly have these really deep conversations with people I've, I've been working a lot for a long time, but I've never really knew them. Um, and this is just taking interest in the other person. So um, it's not easy to achieve, but if this happens, most of the times the other behaviors will be, it, it doesn't need to be, a, to be like faked. Um, or, 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 or played or doing just the right behaviors to come across um, as a good listener. Guy, you've got it completely wrong. I faked the whole thing. I just did tricks. <laughs> I don't care about you or what you do. <laughs> We're also working together, so we have a lasting relationship, so I'll get back to you. <laughs> well, thanks to you so much for, for coming and, and talking about all this stuff. This, this was super interesting. It was, it was great to learn more about it. Thank you for inviting me. That'll do it for another episode of Opinion Science. Thank you so much to Guy Ichikoff for sharing his work. As always, check out the episode webpage for links to learn more about Guy and to learn more about the research that we talked about today. OpinionSciencePodcast.com is the hottest place on the web within some margin of error. But that's the site with all the links and the episodes and the pictures and the transcripts. You'll have fun, I promise. It's an empty promise, but give me a break. Subscribe to Opinion Science wherever you get podcasts. Leave a kind review of the show online, somewhere like Apple Podcasts, maybe. Talk about the show with your friends, your colleagues, your parents. Always happy to have new folks in the Opinionverse. Does that work as like a cool name for what this is? Opinionverse? Eh, I'll keep working on it. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you in a couple weeks for more Opinion Science. Bye-bye.